and verses 5 through 8. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. Notice that he was hated before these dreams. They hated him, they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamt. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheep arose, and also stood, stood upright. And behold, your sheep stood round about, and made abeyance to my sheep. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him, yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Notice initially here, brethren, that Joseph's dreams were so overwhelming. They were, they were so encouraging and so inspiring, really, that he, would, he, was, he felt absolutely necessary to speak to his brethren about them. He wasn't telling his dreams to his brethren to wind them up. He wasn't telling them to his brethren to, uh, to make them angry and to stir them up. He wasn't doing that. Some commentators, modern commentators, say, well, he's doing it to stir them up. He wasn't doing that. He was doing that because he was completely overwhelmed by these dreams. They seemed so real to him. Of course, they were absolutely prophetic. They were inspiring and encouraging. And hence we hear the words in verse 5 and 6. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here, I pray you this dream which I have dreamt. So you see here, he, he's telling this dream for the right motives. There's no animosity in his heart here to stir his brethren up. There's no wanting to wind them up, as it were. He's doing this really because... He is overwhelmed with these dreams, and he thinks it necessary to tell it to his brethren. Notice, notice also his brethren's response, his brother's response. They hated him, yet the more. And so this implies they hated him before his dreams. Joseph was hated, really, because he was a truth-bearer. He told the truth. Remember, he was converted at a very young age. We, we are at this account, this narrative in his life, when he's 17 years old, he's a lad. But as I said in our first study, that it's very likely that through the witness of his granddad, Isaac, who lived in the same area, which is Hebron, it's very likely that his granddad had a very big influence upon him and uh, would have often probably told him of the great, the great acts of faith which the Lord uh, helped him with, and of course his dad. And so naturally, Jacob, Jacob would have, his heart would have been knit with Joseph uh, because he was a believer. Like Abraham and Isaac, their hearts were knit together because they both loved the Lord. And so they both had the spiritual knitting together, as it were. And this is really behind the hatred between Joseph and his brethren. There's this division in the household. And because really he was saved, he was converted, and he wanted to live for the Lord. He was inspired to live for the 
Lord. And when these dreams came, they were powerfully, prophetically, well, it seemed, seemed amazing to him and he wanted to talk to his brethren about it. But you see the spiritual connection with his brethren, you see, wasn't there. Because we know that his brethren and the rest of his brothers, his half-brothers, were not converted at this stage. They would come to be converted, but at this point they were not converted. And so we see here the natural enmity, even inside someone's family, that there is in the family here, this animosity. Joseph was hated because he was a truth-bearer. He, he spoke truthful words. He gave gentle reproofs. He feared God. He was hated because of his godliness. That's the real reason why he was hated. It, it grieved Joseph's soul to see his brethren disobeying God the Father, disobeying his father, bringing his father's name into disrepute, bringing the covenant family, the, the, the promised family of God's covenant, bringing a bad witness upon the name of the family. And we think of, like I said last time, Simeon and Levi and the disgrace which they brought to their father. We think of Reuben's incest. We think of, of the false gods that, that were, Jacob told them to put them away. And so we know that it grieved Joseph's soul that, that his brothers were treating his father like this and were walking contrary to the God of, of his fathers. And so he was hated, wasn't he? Because he would not partake of his brother's sins. Uh, he stood firm for the Lord. And, and this is a great lesson in peer pressure, by the way, for young people. A great lesson for peer pressure. Don't follow the crowd, as it were, into sin. Uh, and as strong as that may be, the impulse to, to, to follow an older brother, or a younger brother, or sister, or whatever it will be, or friends that, that entice you as it were, to disobey God. Do be like Joseph. Dare to be a Daniel, as it were, and trust in the Lord. And so he was hated because he would not partake of his brother's sins. And really he was hated because of the symbolic and designated coat that his father made to him. And, and, and yes, we can see that there was some favoritism here, obviously, but this book, this, this, the life of Joseph, is not, is not really a parental guide here. There's plenty of other books in the New Testament that talk about parenting. And yes, we can profit from these things. But this is all about, this is all about Joseph. This is all about him being pictured as a, a foreshadow of Christ. This is all about the, God's covenant promises, God's sovereignty. About, about God preserving his people, humbling and rising them up again. And so he's, he was hated because of the symbolic coat of many colours that his dad made for him. But you see, his, his dad made this coat because it was symbolic to the new nature that Joseph took on. This coat of many colours represented God's promises in Joseph. This coat was ordained of God, really. It was a picture of royalty that he would soon be upon the throne, this flowing coat, as it were. And it was a symbol of distinguishing grace given 
to this young lad. And no doubt his father loved him because really of his godliness here. And so, again, this is very misunderstood by, by many people. And no doubt there are, um, there are lessons for parents to learn in terms of favoritism. But we must really get the, the theme of this. That that's really why his father's heart was so knit with Joseph. That's why this symbolic coat was put upon him. Because it was ordained of God. Because he was a believer. He was hated because of this. And so we must understand that Joseph did not tell these dreams to his brethren to wind them up. <laughs> as many commentators have put. To stir them up. Moses does not imply anything negative about about Joseph's dreams whatsoever. And so, of course, his brethren did not see it in that light, did they? They were deeply offended at his dreams, at the thought of bowing down to uh, many of them, their younger brother. They, they, and, of course, because he was a truth-bearer, he was going to be their leader to have the preeminence, and they hated the thought of that. And so, they hated the notion, the thought, of Joseph having the preeminence over them. And so this dream offended them. And we think of what the dream was. He, it says, For behold, we were binding sheaves in the, in the field, and lo, my sheep arose, and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made abeyance to my sheep. They bowed down, they reverenced uh, the, the sheaf of corn, bowed down to Joseph's sheaf, as it were. Notice here the accuracy, the precision of Holy Scripture, that Joseph says, Lo, my sheep arose and, and also stood up. Arising means that his sheaf would first be lowered, wouldn't it? It would first be lowered. God would would so, in his sovereignty, lower Joseph, thrown into a pit, thrown into, into prison. He would get lower and lower and lower. He would be humbled and humbled and humbled, as it were. His sheep would, would be lowered, would be humbled, like Christ, as it were, foreshadowed. And then it would arise, wouldn't it? Lo, my sheep arose, arose from, arose from the pit, as it were, arose from the prison, arose from the ashes, as it were, and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves, your proud sheaves, as it were, I will not have this man reign over me, or as with Job, as with Moses, who made you judge over us. Well, God has, in due time, the same thing. And those proud sheaves were, were emptied then, weren't they? They were brought low then. And so this dream is full of propheticness, isn't it? But it really offended his brethren. They hated the notion of Joseph having the preeminence over them. Shalt thou indeed reign over us, they say? Shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And again, the significance of these sheaves of corn intimated how they would come seeking corn from Joseph, wouldn't they? And would come to bow and reverence him for it. They would be emptied of all the corn they had, all the food they had, 
God would break the bread of the rod, wouldn't he? Of bread. Remember how we read earlier, Psalm 105. God did that. God made the famine to come in the land. And God said, told, Jacob told, told his sons, go to Egypt. I hear there's corn in Egypt. And of course, they came with their empty sheaves. Uh, they used to have corn, but, and they, they, were, they were plentiful land in Canaan and Hebron. And then they came, empty-handed, bowing before their brother that was full of corn. We see here the symbolic nature, don't we? The, the, the the prophetic nature of this first dream. We are told in verse 9 that Joseph dreamed a second dream in verse 9. And he dreamed yet another dream. And he told it to his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. That must have wound them up. A second dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made abeyance to me. They bowed down, they reverenced me. And we are told in verse 10 that he told his second dream to his father. And this is very significant to the narrative. He told his second dream to his father this time, as well as his brethren. You notice that? The accuracy of scripture here, friends. This is significant because the first dream was just told to his brothers, it would seem. Because it would be them first that would come and bow down before him in, the, in time to come. Not Jacob. It would be them first that would come and be humbled before him. The second dream prophetically speaks of the whole family in the course of time being brought into Egypt, including his father this time. And they would all come and bow down to him. He was going to be the saviour as it were, with a small s, a type of Christ. And he would be the one that would feed his family, that would be the covenant head, as it were, of God's promises. And we see here the birth, the maturing of the nation of Israel, don't we? How a few men, a small family, with God's blessing, out of seemingly small beginnings, God so flourishing it, and against impossible odds, the nation of Israel born, as it were, to a great conquering nation by God's blessing. And so we see here the unfolding of God's promise, don't we, to Abraham, that is seen we as the stars of the heaven in multitude. And Abraham believed in it and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And Joseph believed it as well, didn't he? Christ, friends, is foretold the same, didn't he? In Matthew 26, 64. Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Christ indeed was exalted, wasn't he? Sat at the right hand of power of the Father. So was Joseph, wasn't he? Sat as Prime Minister, as it were, of the superpower of the world at the time. And interceding for his brothers, saving his family, extending grace uh, to the Gentiles, as it were. It's a wonderful picture here of the Saviour, isn't it? And now we see in verse 10 that Joseph's father also rebuked him, didn't he, for his dream. 
Was Joseph rebuked because his father thought that he was proud or ambitious? That's the question. Did Joseph rebuke? Did Jacob rebuke Joseph because he thought he was proud or ambitious? And it's quite clear from the text that he did not. He was rebuked more so, I believe, and which is evident to the text, because he wanted to protect his Joseph from his brethren's enmity against them. He, he could see that his brethren were jealous over him and envied him. And so this seems obvious by the words given in verse 11. But his father observed the saying. Like Mary in the New Testament who pondered upon the words, as it were. He, he pondered upon it. He knew there was something amazing happening in Joseph's heart. This peculiar obedience, like Isaac, as it were. This, this faith in the promises of God. It was amazing. And so he knew, really, that, that God, God was doing something amazing here. And Joseph's dreams really confirmed that his humbling and his arising, as it were, his exalting, was ordained of Almighty God. God was in control of all these events that were happening. Not his brothers. God was in charge. Not his brothers. Not the slave, the slave traders. God is sovereign when Joseph was thrown into the pit with no water left for dead. God was sovereign when he was sold as a slave into Egypt. Which, by the way, is a capital offence, according to the Hebrew law. It was, a, it was a capital offence to sell a Hebrew to an enemy as a slave. That, that deserved a death penalty. But you see, God, in his sovereignty, was with Joseph as he was sold as a slave. God was sovereign when false witnesses were raised up against him in Potiphar's house, as it were. When that adulteress, as it were, when Joseph fled lust and sin and honoured God, well, God was sovereign when he suffered as a consequence. And he was, God was sovereign when he was cast into prison in Egypt, which must have been a hellish place in that hot country, dry and dark. And horrible. God was sovereign in that prison cell. As he kept on going lower and lower and lower. He kept on doing good and good and good. Believing in the promises of God. And he was taken lower and lower and lower. God was sovereign in all these things. And when he was forgotten about Mother Baker. When he interpreted his two dreams as well. And he was forgotten. God was sovereign. Over all these things, dear brethren. God was sovereign in all these things. All these things in his life. And God is sovereign, dear beloved of the Lord, in our lives. In everything in our lives. Every minute detail in our lives. He knows that the hair upon our heads. He knows that the bird falls on a tree. He cares for so much more for us. He is sovereign. And so whatever you're going through, dear friends, in your life, whatever problems, future fears, anxieties you've got, financial problems, health problems, 
There's so many pressures that face us nowadays. God is sovereign. Remember that. Remember that he is with you in all these things. Trust in him. Like be a Joseph. Dare to be a Daniel. And everything. Lay it upon him. In all your ways. Acknowledge him. He is sovereign. God is sovereign in the pit, friends. And he is sovereign when you and I fall into the pit sometimes. We can fall into sin, can't we? We can fall into despair. We can, we can fall into the pit where we don't have answers. We don't have a way out. As it, where we, we feel that fear and we feel that we're at our wit's end. A Red Sea moment. There's nowhere to turn. We can feel like we're in a pit. God is there. God and His promise is there to pull us out, even amongst the most unlikeliest of needs, like it was with Joseph. God is there. God is sovereign. God sees. God hears His people's cry. God is sovereign. Whatever pain you're in, friends, He hears your cry. God is sovereign. Whatever loneliness you're enduring for a season, or maybe many seasons, over 10 years, over more than 10 years, way over 10 years, he was meant he suffered. He was humble. He was falsely treated, abused, put in fetters of iron. God was with him. God was sovereign. And when you're in this loneliness, friends, because you're a Christian, because you love the Lord, God is your best friend. God will never let you down. God is sovereign. However people may hate you, God will love you. He always loves you. He always loves his people. You're as the apple of his eye. He cannot forsake his people. He has never loves his people. God is sovereign in your life. If you're in Christ as Joseph was, God is you're the apple of his eye. You mean so much to him. His thoughts towards you, you cannot number, you cannot count. Remember our first study when I mentioned, when Scripture mentions something twice, God is highlighting something. God is emphasizing something. And this is significant of the dreams, the double dreams which we see in Joseph's circumstances. The prophetic nature and the importance of these dreams. It's confirmed twice here. And we see this pattern right throughout Scripture. With Pharaoh, the dream repeated. With, with the baker, the, the, the dreams repeated here. The importance of this, the significance of this. These dreams are a, a confirmation that Joseph, that Joseph is a foreshadow and a type of Christ. And not only for his family, not only to bring really his family, humble his family, his brothers, his, his family, bring them low and to save all Israel. He's it a picture of Christ here, a foreshadow of Christ. He would not only save Israel, his whole family, but he would also extend Grace to Egypt and the Gentiles and the known world at the times. He's a picture, foreshadow of the Saviour, isn't he? Of course, these dreams are a confirmation of his, his symbolic coat. 
with this distinguishing grace of the promises of God. You know, when I was freshly converted, and I remember that week staring out the window, uh, and I used to uh, live up in an attic at that point in time, and I remember seeing this beautiful rainbow out, out of the window. And I've never seen a rainbow in that light before. And suddenly I remember the promises of God. They meant so much more to me, this beautiful colours. I thought, wow, that's God's bow. He's put in the cloud. And you think of an archer's bow, this is God's bow. Wow, look at that. That's amazing. Look at, look at God's bow. And I was saying to my colleague, who was an unbeliever, look. It's God's bow. God keeps his promises. <laughs> and the same as with Joseph. That coloured coat is a symbolic. God keeps his promises. Believe in him by faith, as it were. So Joseph was a type of saviour to not only his family, but to the Gentiles. His coat is a, distinct, is a, is a symbolic coat of distinguishing grace. Royalty. He would be upon the throne. He would be humbled and then put upon the throne as, as Christ. And we think of that precious scripture that though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty we might become rich, rich in grace. And that's what Joseph was, wasn't he? He was a type. And so the long, colourful coat was symbolic of God's promises to he would become a leader of God's covenant family. He would have the preeminence despite all the devil's attempts and efforts to crush God's promises. And surely Joseph is one of the most Christ-like of God's people. We see throughout the whole of scripture. It's, it's, it's amazing to see how Christ-like he was. Amidst the much suffering he endured, the many trials of faith, years and years he went through. And he was proved in those, those fiery furnaces, as it were. The suffering servant emerges from the ashes as a champion, victorious, as, a, as Christ did, as, a, as it were. And we never hear a complaint from him at all, do we? We never hear an embittered word from him in his sufferings. We never hear a distrustful word from him. And what an example he is to us, friends, of Christ, of how Christ underwent all the sufferings. What it cost him, as it were, to bear our sin, as Joseph did, with his family, as it were. And what an example he is to us. Know that the Lord would make us more trustful in his promises, less complaining in our trials, and more gracious uh, to one another in the Lord's dealings. What encouragement of the power of God's sovereign grace we see throughout Joseph's life. In conclusion, let me finish with the words of Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And that's so true of Joseph. It? It is so true of us here today. He is the same God with the same promises, with the same spirit, with the same strength. Let us, dear brethren, trust uh, in the God of Joseph and Jacob, the living God, 
Amen.